Hey everybody, welcome back to the Infuse Your Future podcast, where we bring together people and ideas who are making the world a better place. I'm your host, Dr. C. Today I'm excited to introduce our guest, Paul Fortune. Welcome, Paul. Thanks, Carla. Appreciate being here. Yeah, great having you. So why don't you start by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about what you do in the world and how you infuse people's lives. Yeah, so um, now in my life right now, um, I'm, a, I'm a coach and a speaker. So I, I specialize uh, in high school athletes on mindset. So I don't teach them anything about the, the day-to-day about how to do their sport. But I, I, I talk about the mindset, about what's going on inside. So my, my feeling is this. If you feel more confident with yourself inside, you're going to perform better on the outside. And I think it starts with the inside first. So that's been a really, really great thing. And I also do speaking. I, I speak at uh, schools. I speak at uh, organizations, businesses all over the place. So I do a little of both. So I've been really, really busy. Thanks that COVID has subsided. So brings me here today with you. I love it. What kinds of things do you speak about? Do you speak about mindset when you do your speeches? I, I do. I have this thing called take back your pen. It's your story to write and your story to write alone. So don't let anybody take your pen and write your story for you because you're the author of the story. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So it, 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 it a lot, a lot has to do with, with my life um, because all through my life, people have wanted to take the pen from me and all through my life, I've said, no, give me back my pen. I want to write the story and how I want it written. So if, you want I can go into my story a little bit I would love to I hear you have a great story yeah so um I was born with something called cerebral palsy and if your viewers don't know what that is it's lack of oxygen to the brain at labor and as a result of this lack of oxygen to the brain at labor it can leave one side of the body paralyzed it can affect your speech and these things are permanent they don't go away so when I was born I wasn't moving the right side of my body very much and Naturally, my mother was very concerned about that. So she took me to the doctors to get some testing to see what was going on with me. And that's where I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. And this first physician told my mom that this cerebral palsy was so severe that I would never, ever be able to walk. And when I got to a certain age, it would be a good idea to get me in a wheelchair because that was going to be my life going forward. Wow. And I had numerous conversations with my, with my mom about this. And when she first heard that news, naturally, she was devastated. Um, She said she cried herself to sleep, wondering what the life was going to be for her baby boy. But she told me this. She said the next day when she woke up to get me ready for the day, I'm an infant. I can't talk at this time. But she said that I gave her a look. A look if to say, Mom, don't let this be my story. I want to walk. And that mama bear inside of her started roaring. As she got a second opinion, a third opinion, a fourth opinion, a fifth opinion, finally found a physician willing to help. And with this physician's help and me doing physical therapy five to six times a week and my mom's unrelentless attitude to make sure I was walking, I was walking between age two and three, a feat that four of the doctors said it was going to be impossible. I was doing now, I don't really remember that because it was, you know, I was so young at the time, but I do remember being put into soccer roughly when I was about five years old. And at the time, 
I probably could run about 25 to 50 yards before my leg would give out. And that's all I could do. So when I was on the soccer field, I was pretty much standing there where kids were playing soccer around me. And I'll never forget this. It was one day after practice. Uh, I was just fed up. I was going to tell my mom I didn't want to play soccer anymore because uh, I was getting teased. I wasn't having fun. I just, I just wanted to quit. I remember what my mom told me that day because it stuck with me to this very day. She said, Paul, if you don't want to play soccer anymore, that is okay. But you need to honor your commitments. So you need to finish out that soccer season. And if you don't want to play soccer after that, that is your prerogative. And that's exactly what has happened. I'm 43 years old and I haven't played soccer since I was five years old. <laughs> <laughs> but I've honored that commitment. That honor my commitments in my personal life, in my business life. I honor what I committed to. And after that, I'll evaluate the situation and see if I want to go further on it or not. And it's been a, a powerful tool in my life. But I got a big break after that soccer season. Uh, I got surgery on my right foot, tighten up the tendons to give me a little bit more spring in my step. And this surgery was a game changer for me. I didn't know how big of a game changer it was until I switched schools around this time. I think, I believe I was in first grade. And I remember my first day at PE, physical education. We did our stretches and the teacher goes, okay guys, run a lap. And I'm thinking to myself, here we go again. I'm gonna run 25 to 50 yards. I'm going to have to stop. These kids are going to see that and they're going to start to tease me again. Because of the surgery, it was different. I was able to go past that point where I normally have to stop. And I remember saying to myself, I'm like, come on, Paul, you got this, bud. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And I finished the lap with the other kids. On the outside, I kept it cool. But on the inside, I was like, yes, 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 yes. The first time in my young life where I fit in, I didn't stand out. I was just like everybody else. And things did get easier for me uh, due to that surgery, but I wouldn't consider them easy. Roughly when I was 11 or 12 years old, my parents got divorced, so I had to switch schools. And that's a tough age to switch schools at because uh, kids are going through hormonal changes. They're becoming teenagers. And a lot of them have been going to school with each other for years and years and years. And so they've already formed their cliques and they don't have any, they don't have time for anybody new. So just being a new kid alone is going to be tough. But I'm a new kid who walks with a little bit of a limp and holds his right arm a little bit differently. So it was even tougher for me. I couldn't break into the school. I was getting spit on, teased, tackled on, you name it, they did it to me. And I came from this silly old school mentality where you don't squeal. And so I kept all this, 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 this anger and sadness inside of me. And I didn't tell anybody that I was going through this, which was not the right thing to do. And while this was going on, I was raised Catholic. So my mom, my mom wanted me to go to a Catholic high school. So I had to take an assessment test to see where they were going to place me when I got to high school. Well, I must have bombed that test because when I met with the principal and my mom, the principal tells the both of us that she is going to put me at the lowest level possible and she does not expect much from me. I do not seem like I'm college material. After one test, this teacher or this principal tells the both of us this. So oh now I think gosh. I'm stupid. I'm going back to school. I'm getting bullied and teased at. I'm crying myself to sleep most nights going, why me? Why do I have to go through this? Why can't I be, be like everybody else? And Carla, I don't know what came over me, but... At the start of eighth grade, I was just sick 
and tired of feeling angry and sad all the time. Those were my go-to emotions because those because of the environment I was in. But I knew deep down those weren't my go-to emotions. I was a different person inside. So I thought, what can I do to change this? And I thought, well, what if I set a goal for myself and I focus in on this goal and that will help me kind of ignore the noise that I'm feeling with, with my classmates. So I thought, what kind of goal should I set for myself? And at the time, I loved baseball. So I made a goal for myself to try to make my varsity baseball team in high school. So I started playing fall ball, winter ball, spring ball. And if I wasn't doing that, I was starting a tennis ball against the wall. And while I'm going through this journey, this coach comes to me after practice and says, hey, Paul, you play a lot of baseball. Do you have any goals with this? And at first, I didn't want to tell him my goal was to make my varsity baseball team because I thought he'd laugh at me. Somebody with cerebral palsy making a varsity baseball team, get out of here. It ain't going to happen. He kept asking me that question. And one day, he caught me at a weak moment, and I just blurred out, I want to make my varsity baseball team. And I was bracing myself for him to start laughing at me. But he didn't. He paused for a second, looked at me, and he said, that's absolutely doable. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yes, that is doable. You can make your varsity baseball team. He goes, but you got to have other people keep you accountable for this goal. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? He goes, after practice tomorrow, you're going to go in front of your team and you're going to tell the team that's your goal. I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want to do that. These kids just start accepting me. If I tell them something silly like that, they're going to start to laugh at me. And he goes, Paul, there's going to be times in this goal where you're not going to be feeling it. And you need your teammates to lift you up and push you forward on those, those moments. They need to know your goal. So reluctantly, I said, okay, I'll do it. And after the, the next day after practice, I'm shaking. I go in front of the team and I tell the team my goal. And again, I braced myself because I thought they were going to laugh at me too. But they didn't. They clapped for me. And I know this now. I didn't know this when I was going through this journey. But I started to send a different energy out towards these kids. And as a result, the kids started sending me a different energy. In other words, instead of bullying and teasing me, they started rooting for me. So my high school uh, life, my career in high school was much different than my middle school career, all because of my energy shift. And that alone is the win. But the cherry on top was I was able to make my varsity baseball team as a junior and a senior. In my senior year, I pitch a three-hit shutout. They pour the Gatorade on me, and I felt so alive. I felt so good about myself. It was awesome. I was on top of the world. I graduate high school, and I start to think about my goal that I set for myself. As I told you earlier, I didn't think I was going to make my varsity baseball team. It was just a way to ignore the noise that I was facing with the bullying. But then I, I was able to accomplish this goal. So I thought about what the principal said to me about years earlier about not, not being college material. See, throughout high school, I pretty much mailed it in. I just did enough to stay eligible to play baseball because in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, I'm not college material. Why waste your time? Just do enough to stay eligible and move on with yourself. So my grades weren't that great. But I thought if I could make this baseball goal a reality, why can't I set another goal for myself to say that I'm um, college material? So I enrolled into a junior college because that was the only place that would accept me at the time. I got myself a math tutor. I got myself a tutor for other subjects. And I went to the math lab pretty much 
four or five times a week. I did everything necessary to, to increase my grade point average. And due to this hard work, I took my barely 2.0, if not lower, all the way to 3.5. And I was able to transfer to a four-year university, graduate, and become college material. And I wow. still wanted to go back to that principal and say, see, see, you were wrong. I was college material. But, you know, I thought about that. And I probably should thank this principal because all through college, all I did was hear her voice saying that it wasn't college material. And my next thought was, I'll show you I am. So it gave me that extra motivation to hit the books a little bit harder. And as a result, I feel I graduated at a faster clip because of that. So I should thank her. But I move on. I'm 22, 23 years old. I have no life experience whatsoever. I have no idea what the heck I want to do with my life. And I had a family friend who was in the um, mortgage industry. He was a, uh, he was a CEO of a small bank. And he said, hey, we're hiring uh, mortgage loan officers. Would you like to uh, give it a try? And I'm like, I got nothing going on. Let's, let's do this, right? So they hire me. I'm really excited because it was my first time wearing business-like clothes to work. I just felt like an adult wearing clothes. I mean, I had other jobs, but you'd wear, you know, kind of goofy clothing and such. But this was where I had to wear business clothes. So I was excited. And I get to get there and no one wants to talk to me. I'm sitting alone at lunch. I'm getting shunned. I'm like, what in the heck is going on? I haven't felt this way since middle school. What, what, what's the deal here? And I quickly realized what the issue was. See, everybody knew that I knew the CEO of the company. So it wasn't because of my talents as well, who I knew. So what they were going to do is they were going to chew me up and spit me out because I didn't belong there. But I was determined to prove them wrong. So I didn't complain about the workload. I had a positive attitude. And from afar, because they didn't want to talk to me, I was observing what the top loan officers did in the company. And I'll never forget my first day of wanting to go out in the field and get loans the first time. I got my rate sheets ready. I was going to go out the door. And my family friend, CEO, stops me and goes, what are you doing? I go, I'm ready. I got my rate sheets and I'm going to go out and get loans. And he's like, no, 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 no. You are absolutely not ready yet. Let's get you a couple more months of training. Then we'll send you out there. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I got this. Let me go. He's like, okay, go. And I get out there and he's 100% right. I had no idea what the heck I was doing. I was falling left and right. I was getting abused by these clients because I had no idea what to tell them. But months would go by and I started to realize what value I could add to these clients. And I started bringing in loans and more loans and more loans. And two years later, I became a top producer in the company. And the people that didn't want to talk to me when I first got there are now coming to me with questions on how I was able to turn things around at such a fast clip. And I loved the mortgage industry at the time. I thought this was going to be my life's work because it was really fun because, uh, you know, there was people, you know, that had to work in a cubicle and I, I got to drive around for work. I, I went, I went all over Southern California getting loans and it was, it was just a fun, fun time for me. Um, and then 2008, 2009 hit and the economy tanked it. And that <laughs> whole bank that, that I worked for, that went belly up. So I had to get another job. In the mortgage industry, that company went belly up. And this happened three to four times. And I started to lose the, the luster of the mortgage industry. When I first got in the business, I was living for Mondays. I couldn't wait to come to work on Monday morning because I just enjoyed what I did. But some of these other companies, I wasn't enjoying uh, Mondays anymore. I was dreading Mondays. Matter of fact, I had what's called the Monday blues. 
And that's when it when it's Sunday evening, Sunday afternoon, where you stop enjoying the day with your friends and family and you start stressing over the work that you have to do Monday. And it would go to the point where I wouldn't get any sleep Sunday night. I'd wake up uh, in a bad mood Monday morning, not wanting to go to work. So it, I was just miserable. But I remember the last place I was at. They brought in this motivational speaker to motivate us to get the, the sales numbers up. And, you know, I went to my manager at the time, like, I don't need motivation. I got this. And he's like, he's like, well, I don't care. It's mandatory. Go. So I'm like, okay, I'll go. But something in the back of my mind said, keep an open mind, Paul. Keep an open mind. So I did. Get into this, this meeting. And the guy blew me away. The guy was tremendous. To the point where I had to go to him after the meeting and tell him how great of a job he did. And he was so gracious. He allowed me to pick his brain a little bit. He said he started kind of as a life coach. I'm like, what the heck is a life coach? <laughs> and explain that to me. I'm like, you know what? Maybe I want to get into that. So on the off time of doing the mortgage, I started to get my coaching certificate. I started telling people that I wanted to get in the coaching uh, world. And at first, people were taking me seriously. They weren't, they were kind of humor me. And they're going, okay, Paul, go ahead and save the world. But before you save the world, bring a couple loans, will you? So I, I, um, I start to get my website up. I start to post things on social media. And the legal team that I was with at the time comes to me and goes, what is this? And I was very transparent. I told them, I'm going to do the mortgage world. That's going to be my, my, my primary job. And then I'm going to have a side hustle of coaching. And they go, well, this could be a conflict of interest, so we're going to have to get back to you. Like, that doesn't sound good. And they came back with this five-page report of what I couldn't couldn't say. And I looked at this report. I'm like, there is no way I'm going to make any traction in the coaching world if I follow this to the team. So I, I had to make some changes. So for a year, I didn't do any coaching, just did mortgage stuff. I paid down all my debts. I did everything necessary to take a leap of faith. And a year later, I made President's Club. And I quit. And people are looking at me like I am nuts. I just <laughs> was one of the top producers at this bank. I'm going to be able to go on this cruise. I'm turning down this cruise and I'm quitting. And they're like, Paul, you're a loan officer. This is what you do. This is your, this is your, it's in your blood. You, you just need a couple days off and then you'll be fine. I'm like, no, no, no. I, I, I need to, I need to do this. I, it, it's, I, I, I cannot not do this. And they're like, okay. Go, but you'll be back. And for a while, I thought they were going to be right, that I was going to have to go back into the mortgage industry because I was not getting any clients. I wasn't getting speaking gigs. It was just tough sledding. And um, I started having to uh, deliver food uh, to make ends meet. And uh, I would start, to, I had to deliver to friends that I went to high school with and, and people I knew. And they're looking at me like, oh, times must be tough for you, this and that. And I really didn't have time to explain the situation to them because I had to get in my car because I had to make a certain amount of deliveries. And there would be times where I'd be in my car crying, going, what in the heck am I doing? I made a lot of money in the mortgage industry. Now I can bar I'm barely scraping by. I, I just need to go back. But someone told me that, that, I, that there, there's more that I haven't done yet. And I would regret it if I if I quit now. So I did a lot of soul searching. And I started to think, 
how do I expect people to be vulnerable with me if I'm not vulnerable with them? See, the story I told you about having cerebral palsy, I wanted to bury that story. Because all through growing up, all I want to do was fit in. I want to stand out. I didn't want to be like anybody else. So just the thought of bringing that up would put me near to tears. But I thought the only way that the people are going to trust me is if they know why I'm doing what I'm doing. So I started telling my story. And at first, I had a lot of emotion behind it. And I started telling it on podcasts, um, podcasts, uh, anywhere I could, actually, anywhere. And it got to the point where I was able to take the emotion out of it and uh, and not have the emotion when I when I told the story. And I remember my first client ever, he said, Paul, I don't have cerebral palsy, but of X, Y, and Z, and I feel you understand me, and I'd be honored if I could hire you as my coach. And we've been building ever since, coaching wow. clients, speaking gigs, and brings me to present day talking to you, Carla. I love it. I got chills so many times listening to your story. And so many things stand out, just the tenacity, the resilience, the willingness to fail. I think that's what's missing from a lot of people because our culture kind of grooms us to think we can't make mistakes. And if we don't get it right the first time, especially in sports, you know, soccer, I I was just having these great flashbacks um, to your soccer story because my kids were in AYSO soccer. I don't know if you've heard of that. That's the um, soccer I was in. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, at the time they were, they were in the fall season, which is the non-competitive part. And there was a boys team, 10 and under, they needed a coach. I did not know how to coach soccer. I'd never played soccer. My kids were like little league, but they're like, this team is not going to have a coach unless you're willing to step in. And, and I didn't have it. My son was like, 12 or 13 at the time I didn't have a 10 you 10 you son and I took a leap of faith and did it and there was a kid on my soccer team that I thought had never played soccer before and he was very shy and off to the side and I approached him and he's like no this is my third year and I had this vision of him being in these other soccer teams and being pushed off to the side because he was an intellectual not a sportsman and instead of throwing him off to the side, I made him the center of the team. And I was like, guys, you know, this guy loves playing soccer. He wants to be a part of the team. We got to build him up. And that kid loved soccer from that day on. And our team, so in a way, so you might know this, they they do the the season and then they have a double elimination tournament. Yeah. And we freaking won the tournament. We were like mid-level during the season. And there was an undefeated team that hadn't lost a single game until they met us. And we won that freaking tournament. So I was thinking about that. And how did, um, how did that boy that you helped make the center center do at that game? I'm sorry, say that again? How did that boy, you said that you brought in the, the boy that loves soccer and you made him the center of the team. How did he do on that last game to win that, to, to win? I mean, he enjoyed it. Uh -huh. You know, I had him playing in a defensive position. And I mean, the team just worked together um, and we had a blast and, and we ended up winning, you know, That's and then other things, you know, when you were talking, I was thinking of the, I mean, the determination that you had uh, is unbelievable. I, I love your spirit. And I think the other key that you mentioned is vulnerability. We're, most of us are afraid to be vulnerable. 
But that's really the key to everything. You know, the vulnerability. Yeah, I feel vulnerability. Now I know vulnerability is a strength and a weakness. For the, for the longest time in my life, I thought the opposite. But now I know the vulnerability is actually a strength. It allows people to um, have empathy, understanding for you that they, they wouldn't have had if you don't if you don't explain yourself. So it makes total sense that you're a mindset coach for young athletes. I mean, who better? Well, yeah. I mean, well, the thing is, yeah, that's the biggest piece that I like to give to to the athletes is that empathy piece. You know, I I want to have a safe environment for them where they can just be, where they're not going to be judged, where we you we can just have a conversation. And a lot of times, that's what they need. They don't need me to tell them what to do. Matter of fact, they don't need me to tell them what to do. They want somebody to actively listen to what they're saying because sometimes you know their parents aren't fully listening to what they're what they're saying their coach is not fully listening to what they're saying their teammates aren't fully listening to what they're saying and sometimes they just want a voice and that's what I, I give to these athletes now when you work with the athletes are you working with the whole team are you working with individual players both most of the time it's it's the individual uh but uh, a lot of times if I can I, I like to have a conversation with the coach of the team because mm -hmm. I'm hired by the parent. Okay. So um, I'll have a, if I can, I'll like to get introduced to the coach and it, it's just, it's just depending on, on the situation. So generally though, I do a lot more in golf. So there's, oh. I mean, they do have a coach on their high school team, but most of the time they're, you know, most of the time they do have a, uh, they do have a golf coach and, and sometimes I'll meet the golf coach, but most of the time um, in golf, it's such an individualized sport. It's just, it's their mind against, against the game and against the elements basically. Oh, sure. Sure. Do you play golf? I do. Uh, I, I, I like to play the, uh, my, the, but I, I will admit the kids I work with, they're all tremendously better than me and I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to the putting range a few times, but I've never actually played a game of golf. <clears throat> it, it, I mean, it, it, it really is a lot of fun because you're out outside you're with the fresh air, you hear the birds chirping. Um, it's, it's actually a really good time. If, if you don't, if you don't get, you know, you, people can get really mad with it, but if you just take it as a grain of salt, it can be really, really fun. Yeah, for sure. Now you also mentioned that you're a speaker. I mean, do you, do people hire you to speak and what kind of speaking engagements do you do you love to talk at? It's just a, a variation. Obviously it, it all has to do with mindset and motivation, but I, I have something called living for Mondays. Let's stop Bodo's and Monday through Thursday and let's live every single day. And the reason why I feel that way is uh, there was a, a, a big period of my, my life when I was in the mortgage industry where I was only living Friday, Saturday, and then part of Sunday, I, I talked about this Monday blues. Um, and I think that's where it comes from, where people will say, where did the time go? I think the time goes by fast because a lot of us aren't living every single day. We're only living a few days a week. And I feel like if we live every single day, we won't feel like the time time's going by fast because we're really living. And I think that mm -hmm. is important. So I like to talk with the you know employees about that, about, about, about taking ownership of, of, of your work. I get it. You know, we have, you know, everybody has policies to follow. I, I get all that stuff, but there's some stuff that you can take accountability for. And, and one of them is being present. I think that that's, 
something that a lot of us do. I'm, I was guilty of it, and I'm guilty of it too to this day. Is where you're, you're, you know, we're not present in what we're actually doing. You know, especially if it's like a mindless task, and we're just we're just kind of just like there. Um, but I think it's it's important to be present. And if you are in a situation where you just get up every morning and you just hate what you're doing. Uh, I mean, I, I, I feel for you because that's just just not how to live your life. And I get it. We have bills to pay. And I'm not telling you just to quit your job. I, I, I get that. But we all have choices. And you can make different choices. There's different things you can do to, to, to change that. And I know that you might have to make some sacrifices with your time and maybe some money. But if you really don't like what you're doing, life is too short you, you got to change it. I get it. We have families. We got people to feed. We can build, but but you, it's still a choice. You still can make changes. That's so true. And we can enjoy every moment, even if it's not normally an enjoyable task. We can do little things to put some fun into it. You yeah, know, turning dull, dreary, and dungeness to fun, energetic, and productive. Mm -hmm. You know. And having a gratitude. I mean, mm. I, I firmly believe this, that there is, uh, you know, no matter how bad your life is, there, there's there's probably somebody out there that would rather have your life than, than would give up their life to have your life, even in, true. In, the, in the darkest moments. So we have to have uh, uh, gratitude with that. What What is going well in your life right now? I, and that's one of the things that I have with the athletes do. I have them write down every morning what is going well in their life. And if they had a horrible night, they could just put, I'm breathing. I can mm. keep moving forward. And, and I think that's important because um, you, you go with what your mind's thinking about. So if you're thinking negative, neg your mind will show you negative. If you think positive, your mind will start you positive. I have an example of that. Um, when you buy a new car, you drive that car around the highway. You didn't see that car before you bought, bought it. You see it all over the place now because your mind's looking for it. It's the same thing with your positive and negative mindset. That's so true about the car. <clears throat> a few years ago, we got an English cream golden retriever. Never heard of it before. Never seen one before. Now we have one. I see them all over the place. Like every yeah. time I turn around, oh, there's an English cream. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because your mind's looking for it. Right, right. Yeah. <clears throat> So if somebody is listening now and they're like, I have got to work with Paul Fortune, how are they going to, or I have to get him to come and speak at my school or to my, to my team, how are they going to find you? What's uh, the name the, of your business and how do they reach you? Well, the easiest way to get in touch with me is, is, is through my website, a call to action.coach. So it's a call to action.coach. Um, I'm, I'm pretty old school. Um, I have my, I even have my cell phone on there. I'm not scared because I've been in the mortgage industry all my life. So, uh, ha having people have my number, it really doesn't, it really doesn't scare me. So whatever you, <laughs> my number's on there. Uh, so you can get in touch with me there. You'd be able to book appointment on, on the website if you, if you like, and on the website, I actually have a, uh, ebook on how I was able to rewrite my story and how you can uh, rewrite your own story. That's absolutely free. Just go on my website, click on it, and it's, and it's there for you. So you can look at that as well. Um, and then I also have a Facebook group called Rewrite Your Story, where I bring in people from all over the nation, all over the world, actually. And uh, we allow space for people to share their stories with no judgment, only support. 
we actually have a uh, virtual meetup once a month where sometimes I bring in a, a speaker and we talk about various subjects. And then again, in a live setting, we, we allow space for people to share what's been going on in their lives. And again, we don't judge, we just support. So all good stuff. Sounds great. Sounds great. <clears throat> One of the things I like to do at the end of an episode is have a call to action, which is so funny because you're, that's your whole business, a call to action. So do you have a call to action for people today that you'd like to challenge them to? Yes, I, I, I do have a call to action uh, that I would like to challenge people on. I like for everyone to try to make one person, at least one person, if not more, smile. That's great. That's a great call to action. Yeah. And in, in turn, when you make somebody else smile, it's going to make you feel good. Well, I have really enjoyed talking to you and meeting to you and hearing your story. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we end the session? The other thing I'd like to share is if you believe in yourself, you will achieve. So if you believe, you will achieve. Sounds great. Sounds great. Nice to meet you and, and have a great day. Thanks, Carl. I appreciate the time.